Hey there, I'm Jonathan Tepperman, Foreign Policy's Editor-at-Large, and this is FP Playlist. Each week, my goal is to help you make sense of the crowded universe of podcasts by recommending one show from somewhere around the world that I think you'll like. This week, we're featuring a podcast called Worldly, which is produced by Vox. Each episode of Worldly takes on a thorny global topic and breaks it down in a way that makes it easier to understand. The episode we're featuring this week focuses on France's very fraught relationship with Islam and with France's own Muslims, an issue that was brought to the top of the news recently after a French school teacher who had shown his students those infamous cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad was beheaded by a French Muslim man. Before we get to the episode, though, here's a quick conversation I recently had with Worldly's co-host, Jennifer Williams. Jennifer Williams, thanks for um, coming on FP Playlist. Tell me where the idea for Vox Worldly came from in the first place. Sure. So we had long wanted to do a foreign policy-focused podcast. Uh, We have the Weeds podcast, which is a really popular domestic politics kind of podcast. And so we thought, let's do a version of that, but for foreign policy. And so we, you know, got the idea to come together to just have three people who all know each other, who are all experts in foreign policy, to sit together and talk about the news of the day. And how do you decide on topics week to week? Um, we usually fight it out physically. No, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> That's good. We, we get together, uh, you know, the day before and, and kind of throw out different suggestions. We try to think of, you know, what is the biggest kind of foreign news of that week? Or, you know, what is something that has been undercovered in the news? Um, maybe something, it's not always just about foreign, um, you know, stories. Sometimes it's U.S. foreign policy. So, you know, the Biden administration's incoming team, stuff like that. So on the episode that we're featuring, which is about France and its relationship with its Muslims, it happened to be the case that you and your co-host on that episode, Alex, um, your third co-host wasn't on, um, had special expertise on the topic. You happen to be a Muslim um, who has also studied Islamic theology and history, if I've got that right. And Alex has written on the subject, as I think you have. First of all, I thought that brought such richness to the episode. And Thank you. I imagine that's not something you can manage every time. So how do you pull it off when you don't have so much sort of embedded expertise? Sure, that's a great question. We, um, you know, we try to avoid talking about topics where we don't at least have some degree of, of you know, in-depth knowledge or expertise. We always want to make sure that at least one of the hosts has some some deep reporting background or, or you know, academic knowledge or personal knowledge of the issue. And, you know, in the cases when we don't, if it's still a really important topic, sometimes we'll bring on an expert in that field or in that that story area um, to have them kind of come on and give us that piece of expertise. And we do more of the question asking rather than weighing in on on the policy itself. And speaking of hot takes, um, what do you think of the the new um, anti-Islamist bill that Macron introduced? Look, you know, it's deeply flawed. Um, I think, you know, rushing through and trying to kind of push forward, you know, legislation like this is really maybe not the best way to go. I think, you know, having, you know, deep conversations with the Muslim communities across France, having personal conversations, having meetings, talking with scholars to really get at the roots of, of what's going on here extremism is never caused by one thing it's never just ideology it's it's economics it's it's you know personal relationships it's 
a whole host of things. You know, radicalization is, is not simple. You know, given how fraught and now dangerous the topic of France and Islam um, has become, were you at all, and are you at all, nervous or cautious uh, when you talk about the subject? You said one thing, I think the, the most controversial thing you said in the podcast, if I remember was right, was when you you condemned this, the, the, the um, the fetishization of images of the prophet as um, essentially replicating the very prohibition against um, idol worship that that injunction supposedly comes from. Yeah, that was a, that was quite a hot take on my part. But um, <laughs> but you know, I, it's it's I, I firmly believe that that's where you know this kind of obsession um, and fetish fetishization, as you said, of you know, of images um, is the exact, you know, prohibition against idolatry, right? And, and you know, there are so many, you know, <laughs> traditions in Islam that have nothing to do with, you know, a, a cartoon, a picture of, of the prophet, right? Like, there are so many bigger issues for the Muslim community worldwide to be focusing on that this is just, it's absurd that this has become something um, you know, and let alone, you know, not just something to be upset about. I understand that the cartoons are are meant to be, you know, offensive, right? That's that's kind of the point is they're they're satirical. Um, it, and it's one thing to be upset about it. It's another thing to kill someone over it or for even showing it. Right. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, that was a really controversial opinion. And I understand that. And, you know, to your question of, you know, whether I, I'm concerned about this. Um, no, uh, you know, there I have. <laughs> I have uh, been on the receiving end of uh, online hate campaigns. Uh, I have had to have a bodyguard, heavily armed. I've had to live in undisclosed locations at times, but it was not from uh, Muslim extremists. It was from right-wing people in America who were angry that I converted to Islam. So, you know, there's a a, a rich, robust uh, history of, <clears throat> of debate uh, about, you know, Islamic theology, uh, and I am, you know, I'm Muslim, and I'm I'm happy to get in there in the trenches and have those conversations, and I'm not going to let any potential fear of of threats or anything like that stop me from you know from discussing and and having the hard conversations that Muslims ourselves really need to be having. Okay, here's the episode: France, Islam, and free speech. brutal murder in France earlier this month has rekindled a fierce debate in the country over the limits of free speech and tolerance towards a religious group. And that debate has been further inflamed by an attack in, in Nice, France, where a woman was beheaded inside a church and two others also killed. We'll talk about the implications of this debate and what's going on in France on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Alex Ward, and I'm here, as always, with Jen Williams. Hey, Hey, uh, Zach was un is unable to join us today, but we will uh, cover it as best we can without him. And so why don't we just get right into this? It's a pretty contentious issue going on. I know I've written about it twice and have received interesting feedback. And this is obviously a, a sensitive issue. So we want to take this step by step. Uh, we will get to the attacks today, again, October 29th, later in the show. But first, we want to get to what started this debate 
what's happening today and also sort of the broader global implications, which we'll get to in the second half. So why don't I quickly set up what's been going on? Yeah, you've written on this, Alex, uh, pretty extensively. So lay it out for us. All right, so let's do this. So on October 16th, a history and geography teacher named Samuel Petit was killed in the outskirts of, of Paris, the capital, um, by a teenager. And the and he, in fact, he was beheaded. Why? The reason is, it seems, Petit had shown cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad to his students. Uh, and I want to linger on this for a second. A um, couple of things. One, those cartoons were the same cartoons that a satirical magazine in France, Charlie Hebdo, had published. And he showed it to his class in part of a lesson on free expression, which is a very important concept in French, which again, we will get to. He did give his students the opportunity, those who did not want to see it or would have been felt offended by it. Um, and for, for reasons that I know Jen will get into in a moment, why this is a contentious issue. But for, the, for just to explain the story first, the, you know, he gave the students certain options, some did. Parents and, and, and people were upset at the school and, you know, some, some called for him to be fired. This in his information and what happened got online. This teenager apparently seemed to see that information, went to the school, asked students who this teacher was, followed him as Petit was going on his way home and beheaded him. So grisly attack, awful stuff. This this led to a national outcry of going, you know, defending Petit, saying he was okay to show the cartoons, that this was an attack on, on France's free speech and values and secularism. Now, I should say that the government's reaction to this was basically to say that the attack was not only on Petit, but also on France's culture, right? On their notion of secularism, on their notion of freedom of expression, which has been, you know, inculcated for, for decades uh, and centuries, really, actually, really since the French Revolution. And then there's been a longer conversation with Emmanuel Macron, the president, who has been trying to better, in his mind, integrate France's 5 million Muslims into French society and in his mind, create what he calls an Islam of France. And what he is saying is that there are certain elements, and for some reason France's fault, that have neglected neighborhoods that allow extremists to influence, you know, young people and those who are disenfranchised. And it leads to extremist views like the ones that seemingly the attacker on Petit held. The reason we think, we say seemingly and allegedly, is because a Twitter account that looks like the attack, you know, that belonged to the attacker, showed an image of the of the beheading and you know, said that effectively Petit had insulted the prophet. So that is the backstory to this. And then today, I'll briefly touch on this. Today, there was also a beheading in a church in Nice. It looks like there was also uh, an attack by a Saudi citizen at the French consulate in, in Saudi Arabia and a, another incident. And so it looks like this is part of a Long and, and ongoing, uh, there's some violence related to what, ha what happened with Petit. This is an ongoing debate in France, and it's one that has created a, an, an immense amount of controversy in the country and, in, in el and elsewhere. And there are multiple reasons for this. It's multifaceted, but I wanted to lay that out as clearly as I could to understand the backstory as to all we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you remember the those Charlie Hebdo cartoons back in 2015, you know, they publish these uh, these satirical cartoons, these caricatures, um, basically kind of showing uh, a kind of stereotypical, I would say, vaguely offensive kind of, you know, well, caricature uh, of a stereotypical kind of Arab man that was uh, supposed to apparently be Muhammad, you know, wearing a turban. 
looking really angry and aggressive and bloody and violent. Uh, this is part of Charlie Hebdo's kind of longstanding critique on basically the establishment in general, on religion. They have skewered the Pope. They have skewered other religious leaders uh, fairly <laughs> significantly uh, and repetitively. So, you know, this isn't just an Islam thing, but uh, you remember it at the time, it also created an outcry and a, and a big stir among some Muslims who were offended um, both within the country and outside. And then there were these attacks on Charlie Hebdo themselves where, you know, people at the newspaper were actually killed. Um, so again, like Alex said, this is like a whole kind of longstanding issue here. Um, there are a few things I want to kind of talk about. Well, there are a lot of things I want to talk about, obviously. Uh, as, you know, longtime worldly listeners may remember, I am Muslim. Uh, I converted or reverted as Muslim converts sometimes say. That's a whole other thing. But I am Muslim. Uh, I was not raised Muslim. I was raised Southern Baptist. Uh, so I come to the religion from an obviously a different perspective. I studied Islam uh, and Islamic law and uh, political Islam for years before I ever thought about it as my own religion. So I, I actually have a pretty solid background. I'm not an Islamic scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I have studied in, in significant kind of depth. So when I talk about these things, I just want everyone to know that's kind of where I'm coming from here. Um, partly my own religion, but also partly just having studied this stuff um, pretty intensively. So the issue of the cartoons, right? The issue of the images of the Prophet Muhammad. I want to kind of lay out what the issue really is here, what Islam actually says, what it doesn't say, just so people know. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of misconceptions about this, including, I would say, among a lot of Muslims. Um, so... The Quran, that's the Muslim religious text, right? It doesn't actually say anything about pictures of the Prophet Muhammad being banned or being, you know, uh, haram, as we call it, being forbidden. What it does talk about is idolatry. And that is something that other Abrahamic faiths also have in common, right? Don't worship idols, you worship God. You don't worship idols, right? You don't worship the golden calf. That's it's in the Bible. It's, it's very similar. The Prophet Muhammad went into, you know, early in his um, kind of leadership of the Muslim community, went to the Kaaba, that's the the black cuboid structure in Mecca that uh, is kind of a, a cornerstone of the Muslim kind of faith, uh, went in, there were lots of idols to pagan gods at the time that the local people worshipped. So he went in, and he destroyed those idols and said, no, we're gonna, not going to worship idols. We're going to worship the one God. And this is not right, right? There are stories like this in the Bible as well, right? Again, golden calf. So that's kind of the background here. So what Islam, again, what the Quran actually says is don't worship idols, right? And so that's where this kind of prohibition on images of Muhammad come from. It's not that drawing him is a bad thing to do. The concern here and the point of this is that to not create icons, religious icons, and, you know, so that you worship this man. Muslims don't actually worship Muhammad. We worship God. We worship Allah. Muhammad is just his messenger. He's not God. Uh, it's a pretty significant difference between Islam and Christianity, right? Christians worship Jesus as, you know, part of the Trinity of God. Muslims do not worship Muhammad, very explicitly do not, right? And so that's where a lot of this kind of gets really messy. The idea of, you know, beheading someone or killing someone for drawing an offensive cartoon of Muhammad is not something that is taught in Islam. Okay? Just gonna, like, full stop, 
That is not a thing that it says anywhere. That's not a thing that is supposed to be taught. That is not part of Islam. But for lots of historical, political, mostly political reasons, people have kind of taken this really extreme, extreme, extreme position. Uh, you saw, you know, the Taliban in Afghanistan destroying kind of, you know, carved images of Buddhas and things like that, right? But there is a tradition in Islam in some parts of the world, and particularly in, in East Asia, of depicting Muhammad in artwork, and it's fine. Um, so that's kind of something that is at the core of the, the Islamic side of this. So just so everyone knows, nowhere in Islam does it say to behead someone for drawing a picture of Muhammad, full stop. So why don't I quickly go into where I guess France is coming from on this um, to, yeah. to perhaps get a sort of a sort of counter. I don't want to make it seem like there's a class of civilizations here happening. That is not what is happening. But there are two, there's, there seems to be a disagreement about how to portray this cartoons issue, which is, has led to violence. And so that, and, and that's putting it extremely uh, generally and mildly, but like, I'm, I'm, you know, for the purposes yeah. of this episode, like that's sort of what's at the core. Got it. So for France, uh, it is a country that is, for again, since the French Revolution, been extremely committed to uh, secularism and and effectively rejecting, in a sense, um, any notions of religion in the state. Um, right. There's a, there's a phrase for la, la, la cité. Uh, it's it's basically calling for secularism, right? Yeah. And for example, there was a time, uh, like after the French Revolution, where people wrote, you know, wore the rosary, which is a, a Catholic um, thing. Like people would be like, "Wow, you you have more allegiance to the church than you do to France, to the state." And so, really, since the invention of the French nation state and, and then forward, um, there is now this feeling that like all symbolism, all you believe in, first and foremost, is like France, and then your religion or whatever is sort of subdued to that. Um, again, putting right. it very generally and mildly, but that's sort of the general view. Yeah. Um, so France has five million Muslims, and while most studies show that they, you know, Muslims of France believe themselves to be French you know, want to be French, there is a problem with what people will call integration to the society. And then whether that is certain Muslims' fault, whether that is France's fault, I don't want to litigate here. Um, there, there are multiple reasons at, at, at to play. But what we have seen from the French state is a couple of things that, to which it is admitted. What Macron has basically said is that, like, France has done a bad job at, at doing its best to integrate, you know, Muslim, especially Muslim immigrants to France, uh, into the country. Um, a lot of them have been moved to like poor neighborhoods and, you know, receive very little attention and, and have lack of opportunity. And so this is a, a place where, you know, extremists are able to perhaps prey upon disenfranchised folks and, and, and inculcate more, rather instill more extremist ideas into them. The other is that Macron believes that there should be an Islam of France, that, that you are, any Muslims, of course, welcome to believe and be part of society but it must be some in line with French values. And when we, when, and this brings us to the cartoon because Macron fiercely defends the right for anyone to show the cartoon. He does not, he also defends anyone's right to be angry about it. In right. fact, to be offended by it. Um, but obviously not kill over it. Right. And, and that is where the agreement is. But then the question over like, well, how much deference should the state give to a certain ideology or religion? And how much acceptance should we say 
should a certain religion or ideology have towards the, the desires of the state. And that is what I think is happening here um, at a core level. I don't know if you, you agree with that general sentiment, Jen, or, or, or the assessment that I, that I just offered. Yeah, I do. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, I think American listeners, you know, we have our own experience with, uh, you know, being a country literally of immigrants, um, with the exception of, of, you know, Native American populations. The, the story of America, uh, flawed as it may be, um, is, you know, the story of, of immigrants from around the world coming and building this new kind of country. And even though, yes, there are lots of problems with, you know, whether or not immigrants are truly accepted as fully American, they're still like part of our national consciousness that you can be from anywhere. But once you, you know, take your citizenship exam, like you are an American, no matter what color you are, no matter what your first language was, no matter where you were born, you become an American. That concept is not the same in France. It, it is not like you automatically become French. Um, I've talked to a lot of people in France uh, over the years about this idea, um, you know, people who are third and fourth generation immigrants, including from, from Algeria in particular, uh, you might remember France occupied Algeria. Um, so there are a lot of, you know, Algerians who ended up living in France. Um, people who are third and fourth generation immigrants still feel like they are outsiders, right? They're not accepted as French in the same way that, you know, somebody would be accepted as an American citizen here. Uh, it's not the same kind of idea. And so so that kind of drives that um, that kind of separatism, right? That, that feeling of being separate. Uh, and then, you know, as you talked about the ghettoization, right? Putting, um, you know, having kind of enclaves of, of Muslims, you know, within areas of France. Now, when it comes to the, the notion of an Islam of France, I think this is really important to think about. So, you know, in the United States, the idea of like the U.S. government creating like the official standards for any religion is just beyond something that would never, ever, ever happen here because it's in our constitution. We just can't do that. Um, and I would say for good reason, but it's not the same in France, right? And so the idea of creating a kind of national set of like what Islam looks like in France is the kind of thing that Macron is going after. And there's a reason for that. So when you think about like Muslim communities, you know, Muslim immigrants, you have people coming from many, many, many different countries, right? That all practice Islam in completely <laughs> varied ways. Uh, Islam is not monolithic. There is no single authority in Islam. There are different sects, you know, Sunni and Shia. There are different schools of law and jurisprudence and thought within even just Sunni Islam, also within Shia Islam, right? So it comes to where, you know, you will have, and you see this a lot also some to some degree in the U.S., where you will have, like, one mosque on one corner is, like, the Somali mosque, right? It's not officially that. Anyone can go there. But it's where, like, a lot of the Somali immigrants will go, uh, you know, for Friday prayers. And then maybe, you know, a block away, there's the the kind of, you know, Khaliji, the, the Gulf mosque, where, you know, people from Saudi Arabia and, and the United Arab Emirates will go and worship in their kind of way. And so what you end up having is this kind of, you know, bunch of different, like, Muslims who all have a different kind of interpretation of, you know, what is is and is not allowed in their religion. Um, and some of these can end up being more extremist because if they come from, you know, a country where it's a much more extreme or kind of rigid view of Islam, you may have a mosque and a, a preacher and imam who is teaching a much more radical version. And that does happen. Uh, we've seen that in the U.S., we've seen that in the U.K., with the Finsbury Park Mosque in the past. 
And so that's kind of the idea, right, of, of trying to like regulate this. Um, other, you know, Muslim countries do this too. In Egypt, they regulate Islam. Uh, a lot of, you know, countries do this too. So that's kind of the idea here, right, is to make sure that there isn't, you know, they aren't these like pockets of radicalism or whatever. I'm not defending it. I'm not saying that there should be a, a French Islam, but that's just kind of what the thinking is here, what the background is. And, and perhaps maybe to, there will be a disagreement to the point you made. There are some people who are, you know, experts on France or are French who would say it's not that there's like a French state accepted Islam. It is that anyone can practice their faith as they want, but they also need to understand and follow and adhere to and believe in sort of the values and, and the laws of France. And so in a situation like this with the cartoon, it is, well, you may believe or, you know, that your religion tells you to do X, Y, Z thing or, and that's, and again, you are allowed to be offended by it, extremely offended by it and not even like it. In, in, in many ways. But you have to understand that like that is France. And if you want to be part of France, you have to understand that that is part of the culture. That is, right. that is sort of that argument. Right. Um, you know, and but th there's a tension there inherently because in, in Islam, um, the concept of the ummah, that is the Muslim kind of body, right? The, the, the worldwide community of Muslims, we are taught, and this is a really core kind of part of our faith, is that like we are all one community. And that when you become Muslim or if you are Muslim, that trumps even blood ties, that trumps national ties, that trumps tribe. If you remember, this is a religion that united, you know, disparate tribes, disparate peoples. And so the idea is that, that your Muslim community is the first part of your identity. And so having that up against the idea that France should be the first part of your identity is inherently in conflict, right? So that's that's kind of where you see that that, that split. Um, and so, you know, I think this isn't obviously an issue that's going to go away. This is a, a longstanding thing. Um, the problem is that this is causing violence, right? The, the problem is that this isn't an intellectual debate that is just happening, you know, in mosques and in, you know, city council, and, you know, government halls, right? This isn't just kind of like a, a dispassionate debate, right? People are taking things into their own hands and committing heinous, completely unjustified acts of violence over this. And I think that's where you end up seeing where things become this conflagration, right? Because you're going to have this spiraling kind of tit for tat thing where, well, you know, Muslims are like, well, we're not violent, we're not extremists, you know, you don't need to create an Islam of France, like we're French, it's fine. Uh, and then, you know, things like this happen and then the French state and many French people will say, okay, yeah, but you are violent. You just committed this terrorist attack. And then there's another one today in Nice and then, you know, in Jeddah and Saudi Arabia. And so, you know, the vast majority of Muslims are like, oh, no, that's not us. That's not us. Right. But everyone from the outside is going, well, we don't know the difference between you and the extremists to your left or to your right. And so then, you know, Macron and the French state comes back with this. Well, we need to, you know, crack down on the Islamic organizations in France. Um, we need to do more monitoring, things like that. That then engenders more anger, more hatred, both within France uh, and, and outside. And we're going to talk in the, in the second part of the show about the international reaction, which is a huge piece of this. Um, and so it becomes this kind of spiraling effect where it just gets worse and worse. And there's no kind of break to say, hey, wait a second, like we need to everybody slow down. Let's, let's talk this out. Right. And that's like kind of the scary part of when this starts to accelerate. And then you just see nobody wins. Right. And you have people dying completely unjustified unnecessarily. 
and Muslim communities who don't deserve it, who didn't have anything to do with it, getting cracked down on. And it's just becomes this horrific situation. Two quick things I want to say, but I don't want to minimize, especially the second point. But the the first one is France has, as part of the things that we've been talking about, they have, you know, banned the burqa, for example, um, in order to, you know, there's a there's a feeling that it subjugates women and and there's arguments for that. Um, But in effect, they they mandate that the burqa can't be worn. France has also mandated that certain, you know, um, religious coverings can't be worn. um, But the burqa specifically targets um, Muslims, especially Muslim women. Uh, and it is is part of this, and like public employees can't wear the burqa, et cetera. So this is part of uh, this. They general... also can't wear like the kippah, right? No, exactly. The, That's what I meant. Religious, the, uh, religious. Right, coverings, exactly. Right. I just want to make can't it clear wear that the covering, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So Jewish head coverings. I think even I'm not sure, but I think even crosses to some at some point. I think there was at least a debate about that whether you could wear a cross as a religious symbol, um, you know, in schools and mm-hmm. in in public government, you know, places and things like that. And then as one expert told me, you know, even though there's this notion of free, of free speech and whatever, there some Muslims feel like they have been personally, or at least that, that their concerns are not taken as seriously because, for example, Holocaust denial is criminalized in France, but showing cartoons is not. Uh, you can agree or disagree with that point, but there's there's a feeling among certain uh, Muslims that like, hey, why for thee and not for me, right? Okay, so there's that. Yeah, I, I just, I think that's an important point. I don't want to let that go by. Um that is definitely an argument that I that I've seen. Um, I you know experts have have made that kind of argument, saying that that is something that you know whether or not they're making that argument themselves, but that some Muslims in France are, have made that argument. Right? Well, how come that type of speech is actually you know not allowed, but you're allowed to insult you know my religion, but you can't do that? Um, I, I think that's. Obviously, a, a cartoon of Muhammad is not the same thing as as the Holocaust or Holocaust denial, right? I want to make it clear we're not. I'm not there's trying no to. Equation. You know, there's no equivalence there, right? But, um, but I do think there's a, an interesting point there in the sense of you know if France wants to say that they're committed to freedom of speech, well, in America, you know, Holocaust denial is not criminalized, right? Freedom of speech is freedom of speech. Now we criminalize some forms of hate speech, um, so there's never really any absolute, but. For me, personally, you know, free speech should mean free speech, full stop, right? Which means people should be allowed to deny the Holocaust. People should be allowed to draw pictures of Muhammad riding a dinosaur. I don't care. Um, People are going to be offended. Yes, but, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant would be kind of my argument. That's also the kind of argument of, you know, traditional liberalism, right? That you fight these ideas out in the public space. You don't ban any form of speech. You don't ban books. You don't ban contentious and even really vile ideas, you just talk about them and may the best, you know, may the best idea win. Um, and so I think, I think there's a, a fair point in the sense of, is it really true free speech if you're picking and choosing some things? The other point I want to make, and I do not want to minimize this at all, because this is also an important aspect of what's happening, is that there have been nearly 40 Islamist attacks in France since 2012. Right. Some of them you may remember there was the, the Bataclan attacks in Paris. There was the uh, Bastille Day van attack uh, in Nice. Again, these are some you've heard of, but there have been more. And this is a this is a an, an, this is a security problem for France. There seems to be something angering um, Islamists in France to lead them to do attacks inside the country and harm hundreds of innocent people. There is a there is genuinely a security concern and 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 the, the government rightfully, in my mind, has to do something about it. Uh, 
Now, what the the what basically Macron's government has has identified is saying, oh well, the issue is this separate this this separatism problem. Their their mm-hmm. formulation is there is a, a group of extremists in mosques and elsewhere, and I alluded to this earlier, effectively like going to certain disenfranchised folks and saying this is the more you should believe in this more extremist ideology more than the values of the country in which you live. And the way that the government has has formulated it is saying that is basically a separatism, that they are almost like taking territory from France um, with this ideology. And, and inevitably, in like there's a there's a fight going on in a sense. Um now, why is Macron going after this so intensely? One, again, the government needs to do something about it. They're, the government has has struggled for years as to, well, how do you deal with this? Do you provide more economic opportunity? Is there an educational issue here? Do you ban certain mosques? Do you not, or, you know, get rid of a certain, um, you know, extremists, whatever it may be. What we've seen so far as in the light of, uh, what we've seen in light of the Batia attack is that the government has conducted raids on, you know, certain mosques, deported certain people, closed down certain humanitarian organizations, some of which critics say of the, of, of this plan that those were completely innocent and some worry that a large-scale operation, this isn't really that large, but this is what critics would say, that such an operation conflates sort of, you know, the, the actions of extremists with all Muslims. That, right. that, that's at least a, a criticism. While, again, I, I personally believe that France does need to do something about it. I'm not sure this these raids are it. But there is a political incentive here for Macron, and 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 I will quickly go through it, which is, you know, he's a centrist president in, in many aspects. His biggest challenger is from the far right, Marine Le Pen, who we've talked about on the show before. She is a, you know, as in a massive critic, to put it extremely mildly, um, of of Muslims in France and and of, and of Islamism and, and all that. And she believes there's basically a war going on. And she said so explicitly today after the today's attacks. But He's got an election in 18 months, and so a re-election campaign. And so there are many people who believe he is showing a bit of toughness, let's say, in light of this, in light of this petit attack, in order to shore up that right flank, that he is also tough on Muslims. And he's got an interior minister who is a, perhaps in between Macron and Le Pen ideologically, I'll put it that way, um, and, and is leading a lot of this fight. And so... Again, it's it's hard because I think, you know, Macron has a lot of duties. One, he's the president of France and he should uphold its values and promote its values. And that's what he should do. He also needs to fight what is a clear security concern for France. But this is, it's a, it's a, it's a, ten, it's a contentious thing, right? I mean, when he, this Islam, Islam of France speech that he recently gave, it had been delayed multiple times because he was searching for the right words. And it's hard to find the right words. I'm struggling. If you can't hear it in my voice on this podcast, I'm struggling with the right words here today. Um, it's a tough issue. It's a tough issue. And so I, you know, it, I can see why it's, if it's hard for me as a podcast, uh, podcaster, it's hard, obviously for, for a national leader, much, much, much harder. Um, but it's not beyond criticism. And so in this sense, I, I, the struggle that Macron is finally to balance his response with sort of, with his, um, duties as a national leader, but also to the millions of Muslims in France it's also struggling. It, it's it's not surprisingly str- finding a struggle in the balance on how to deal with this major issue, and like and and in the balance between these these competing views on cartoons and, and integration and all that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are multiple ways to address issues of radicalization, right? I've studied radicalization for a very long time. Uh, there's never one really factor that explains everyone, right? It's not it's not Islam because there are plenty of people who commit terrorist attacks who are not Muslims and who, you know, have 
other ideologies. It's not economic issues necessarily because a lot of people who are well-off and middle-class commit terrorist attacks. It's not, you know, any one thing. It's not one country. It's not, you know, even all men. It's not all a certain age, right? There are multiple factors that go into it. And so when you're, you know, as a, a national strategy, when you're trying to, to address this, it's really difficult because it's a multifaceted issue. And so this kind of blanket seeming crackdown on Islam is obviously, you know, going to anger a lot of people because you are picking just one aspect of, you know, this kind of broader picture of what radicalizes individuals to commit violence. Um, and, you know, in France in particular, a, a really important piece of this is prisons. A lot of people, and I, I don't know the details on these recent attackers, um, so I'm not saying that this is the factor in, in these cases, but um, there are a lot of issues in French prisons where, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, more extreme views tend to kind of fester and there's recruitment happening there. Um, it's a big issue that is often under-discussed when we talk about, in particular in Europe, radicalization. So there are all these issues right, for, for France as a government. Um, but there's also kind of a broader issue, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute, which has to do with the international community and what Muslim countries in particular, what their role is. In My name's Kurt Jaimungle. And this is the Theories of Everything podcast. The show where we bring rigor to mathematics, physics, and consciousness, exploring grand unified theories, as well as free will and God. Even exploring aliens with former CIA Lou Elizondo. Heated debates on metaphysics with Kastrup and Verveke. Imagine you are an organism that spans a galaxy. How does the universe look to you? Type in theories of everything on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all platforms. All of this. We are talking about uh, uh, the immense tension that's going on in France after a the be brutal beheading of a teacher who showed cartoons of Prophet Muhammad and now the debate that it sparked in France over the limits of free speech and, you know, respect towards a certain religion. But it's gone beyond France. It's gone quite global. And I, I want to set the scene here yet again before we get to uh, Jen. Um, but, <laughs> and my hot takes. Right. But, uh, you know, I will be the the warm glass of milk before the boiling glass of milk. Um, <laughs> to, <laughs> I've been called a lot of things. Boiling glass of milk is a new one. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, it's, I'm uh, upset I said it, but I said it, so we'll continue. Um, so here we are. So here we are. Okay, so really since the, the Petit attack and France's response, I should say that France held a national memorial for Petit, making him a freedom of expression hero. And, and you know, people were putting images of the cartoon on government buildings and, and even some showing images of the beheadings. And so this was, you know, a, a big deal. And what Macron said in, in that ceremony and has been pretty clear on is like, France will continue to allow people showing the cartoons. That is fair game, which again goes with the values we discussed in the first half of the show. Thousands of Muslims around the world have been upset with this. You saw about 40,000 in, in Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh, protest against it. You've seen boycotts of French products, sparkling water, yogurt, et cetera, um, taken off of shelves in Kuwait. You've seen the University of Qatar cancel its French week. Um, you know, multiple other countries, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, et cetera, there have been protests and boycotts and, and you know, leaders speaking out against what's been going on in France and this, and, and, you know, really the French government's response. Um, it is not unsurprising that this is the play. Uh, there was an incident in 2011 when uh, a Danish newspaper also published cartoons of Muhammad 
the global reaction to that was boycott. Don't buy Danish products, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it didn't work, right? Because the goal of that was to tell, hey, Denmark, we don't like it. Don't allow this to happen again. And really to the broader world, to the Francis and elsewhere of the world being like, hey, we don't want this to happen again. But clearly that didn't work. And we're still seeing the cartoons. And again, reasons for and against. But this is sort of the reaction. And it is being instigated by a couple of leaders, in particular, Turkey's um, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who we've, who seems to pop up on the show quite often. Um, yeah. He's a bit of a rabble rouser, that one. He is. He's a little bit of a of a, of a stinker. Um, and he is is basically saying like, "Hey, France, knock it off." You know, I, and and Erdogan is trying to is trying to portray himself as like the defender of Islam and of Muslims around the world. And so he's personally calling out Macron. He is, you know, yeah, he actually accused him of being mentally ill, which not the classiest move, right? And of and of treating Muslims in France like Jews, and you know pre-World and like World War II Germany, uh, you know, during the Holocaust. It's, yeah, it's bad. So, um, and and there's a reason that he's doing this. Uh, again, part is his desire to be a champion of, of, of Islam, but another is like he's got his own problems at home, including the Turkish lira is, is declining quite rapidly. But like, this is the situation we're in, right? Is that you have thousands of Muslims on their own, upset with what's happening and demonstrating against it, very mostly peacefully, um, it should be said. You've got you've got leaders, Pakistan and, 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 and Turkey and Erdogan, egging this on. You've got, you know, grocery store chains trying to boycott French products. Like, this is the reaction that we're seeing. And it is, again, created this, this debate that is centered in France. It's really made it a larger one. Um, and and uh, it's quite remarkable to see that like this, there are some people that I think, you know, go, oh, this cartoon issue is, is, you know, perhaps overblown. Clearly it's not. Um, clearly it's an important issue. Uh, and one that touches it again at the nerve of, of all the stuff that we've been talking about, Jen. Yeah. So, um, the issue of it being overblown is actually really critical here. I would argue that it is completely ridiculously overblown and that, uh, you know, the, this kind of reaction is completely over the top and unwarranted for, uh, you know, a caricature of, you know, of Muhammad. Um, for me, you know, my faith in Islam is not shaken or damaged or hurt by somebody drawing a cartoon. Like, my faith is stronger than that. And uh, I feel like, you know, people should maybe recognize that, get over it, it's fine. Like, this isn't the end-all be-all. Um, you know, I would also argue it. this is going to be Really contentious, so fair warning. A lot of people are going to get real mad at me about this, but I don't really care because it's how I feel. To me, as a Muslim, the idea of treating images of the Prophet Muhammad this preciously uh, and this, like, sacrosanct is, in fact, committing the kind of idolatry that all of this was meant to prevent and that Islam actually forbids. Um, Treating an image of the Prophet Muhammad like a sacrosanct religious icon that even the existence of that is something that is worth killing over is is a level of idolatry that I think uh, goes against Islam. And that's where I stand on that. Um, but getting to the geopolitical issues here, there's something to understand here, which is that, you know, a lot of these countries are undemocratic, right? Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Morocco, Egypt, uh <laughs> I would argue Turkey, to some degree, has backslid from democracy very heavily uh, and is far more authoritarian. Bangladesh, right? Uh, Not bastions of democracy. And, you know, the fact that 
the idea of a cartoon or an image or something that is deemed blasphemous in, in any way um, is something that is that is, should be criminalized or is something that is extremely offensive is something that exists, you know, there are blasphemy laws in a lot of these same countries, right? You can't also, you know, insult, uh, you know, in Morocco, like there are portraits of the king everywhere and you have to be really careful to not, you know, overtly talk badly about the monarchy. Like you'll get in trouble. Um, these places are undemocratic. And so it's hard to kind of divorce the idea of, of Islam itself and what the beliefs are there and what the kind of culture and politics and, and society in the countries where this is, you know, these protests and boycotts are occurring. Right. So it's not like a lot of these countries have a robust, um, you know, commitment to free speech. So it, it, again, it's kind of hard to divorce the two. What I would say here is that, you know, a lot of these same countries will speak out heavily against extremism and, you know, we've already seen, you know, denouncing, violent terrorist attacks and saying, this is, this is not Islam. This is not Islam, right? We, you know, we reject all kinds of violence. The problem is that at the same time they're saying that they're also, you know, putting out statements and, you know, ginning up protests and boycotts over the same issue that is, you know, if not directly calling for violence, definitely doesn't help the situation and definitely leads to the same kind of mindset that leads to the kind of violent reaction against people who show these cartoons and, you know, and more generally attacking, you know, France and, and Western countries like that. To me, while we're talking about the issue of radicalization and the issue of, of you know, terror attacks and stuff in France and what the French government needs to do, I would also argue that a lot of Muslim countries around the world have more work to do and are, you know, not helping and in fact are in some cases fanning the flames of this while in one breath saying they reject extremism, in the next breath they are supporting more extremist views of Islam. And that is a deep problem that goes much farther than France. It goes much farther than even this century, right? This is the, the kind of tension between Islam and democracy and, you know, attempts to kind of merge the two or, or whatever it is a longstanding tension that is not going to be solved today and certainly not on this podcast. Sorry, everyone. We didn't. We didn't this solve is it. A broader, this is a broader issue that that has been going on for a long time. I was sure we would solve it here. Um, <laughs> two points that I think uh, you know stem out of what you just said, which I think is super important. The first is, and and it will sound like I'm both sizing, and I really don't mean to here, but we're like in in the French part, right? It is Macron's duty as he deals with the the actual security concerns that he must deal with, and there are security concerns. He also must do so in a way that does not disenfranchise or specifically targets targets like the entire Muslim society of France. That is on his side. On the other side, you have leaders around the world, the Erdogans of the world, who should not um, incite violence and should not make it seem like there's some sort of clash of civilizations happening and that, you know, uprise against this horrible French state. Like he has a responsibility as to others in these underground in undemocratic countries and uh, you know other uh, Islamic leaders to not incite more rebel rousing, let's say um, there is there is a responsibility on on in multiple aspects here. Again, it sounds both sides. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that it what happens, what what's usual in a situation like this is like leaders have their responsibilities. They have the things that we all know they must do, and they have incentives not to. Um, but that's sort of what everyone's looking for in these cases. Um, so that's point one. Point two is 
the defense, especially of like Erdogan and, and of Pakistan, Imran Khan, uh, the prime minister of Pakistan, who's also going after Macron and France's policies, their defense of like the faith and of all Muslims rings super hollow to me um, mm-hmm. because, you know, one, they don't do that within their own countries in many, <laughs> in many cases, but we do know that there are about 2 million um, Uyghur Muslims in internment camps in China. Yeah, and, in literal concentration camps. Right. And they are saying nothing about it at all. And in uh, some cases, just continuing to be super friendly with China. Right, because China is a super important economic partner to them and diplomatic partner and, and, all, and all other kinds of things. But so, and of course, China would not take kindly to any country criticizing them for how they're dealing with, uh, for what they're doing with to the Uyghurs. And so they're being quiet. They are, mm-hmm. it is, it's opportunist, right? If you are going to be the defender and the champion, then you do it in all aspects. You don't get to choose when it's convenient and when it's not. It is convenient for Erdogan, let's pick on him further, because um, he deserves it. Um, you know, it is convenient for him to stay silent about the Uyghurs because he needs China to help his country mm-hmm. stay afloat. And it is convenient for him to attack France because, you know, there's a lot of anger towards France. It was a colonial power um, in the Middle East and, and, and elsewhere. And, right. you know, it is now dealing with this with this issue. Um, and, of course, you know, Macron and, and, and Erdogan have been tussling over NATO and all these things. But it is convenient for him to go after France um, yeah. and to go after this issue. And, and it's also convenient that he needs a scapegoat because his economy is tanking and his leadership has been shown to be bad. This is more politicking than it is defense of, yep. of an ideology or religion or whatever it may be or, like, of this issue. It is gross, honestly, um, and and super disingenuous. And a lot of the anger, if you if you are listening to this or following this issue, and you're saying, "Wow, Macron, you've done a really bad job. You are scapegoating. You are also using this as political opportunism ahead of a re-election campaign." I think that's all fair criticism. I think there's more nuance, but that is fair criticism. I would also, I guess, urge you to level your criticism against the Erdogans of the world as well, because this he also is- Iran. Yes, I was. I mean, I was going to let you <laughs> handle Iran and Hezbollah here because, it, like, there this is being used as as yet another wedge issue, and I'm using wedge very loosely here, mm-hmm. um, to further separate and inflame tensions that have existed quite a bit between sort of the that the Western European feeling and a, a more uh, let's say conservative form of politicking. Um, in 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 certain countries in in uh, in certain countries, I will let you handle Iran and Hezbollah. Yeah, I mean, so you see, you know, it, there's no accident that you see, you know, Javad Zarif, the foreign minister of Iran, putting out statements about you know France being you know attacking Islam, essentially, other you know Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, you know, Islamist terrorist group, uh, also putting out these statements uh, condemning France. Um, there's no accident that these you know these leaders and these these groups and these individuals are are the ones who are putting out these really fiery statements. Um, but, you know, like you said, uh, Iran is also continuing to work very closely with China uh, for, you know, all sorts of things, including like defense cooperation and weapons and all kinds of things. Um, because you may remember that Iran is also under sanctioned by a lot of Western countries and the United States uh, and, you know, France. Um, as part of that, uh, and, you know, can't get 
you know, uh, banking and financing and a lot of things uh, that are included under sanctions from France. And Iran is pretty mad at France about that because they really wanted France to buck the United States and just start doing business with Iran again. Um, so again, there, there are domestic and international political concerns that are driving this. And, and not to put too fine a point on it, your point about the Uyghurs, it's just kind of in conclusion, I have to say that, again, as a Muslim, what I find far, far more offensive to me and my religion is the mass internment of, of thousands of Muslims and an attempt to literally erase their religion and their culture in China. Uh, that is far more offensive than a cartoon of the prophet. So if we want to play games here, let's just look at what's really going on, okay? What is bringing tens of thousands of, you know, Muslims out into the street in Bangladesh? Is it Muslims in internment camps or is it a cartoon? Come on, be realistic. Pay attention to what you're actually doing here and what's actually happening. And don't let politicians completely just, you know, get you riled up for political reasons that serve them and don't actually serve uh, the Ummah and don't actually serve Islam and don't serve humanity. All right? Get it together, guys. And with that call to action, we will let you go. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Worldly. Uh, Jen, always a pleasure chatting with you. And we urge you listeners to rate, subscribe, and uh, whatever else you want to do. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Um, you know, wherever you let your podcast or send us an email at worldly at box.com. Um, thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. Thanks to Fox for letting us air the episode. And that does it for this week's foreign policy playlist. Darcy Palder and Rob Sachs produced today's show. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you want to clue me into a great podcast I might not know about, I'm all ears. Please email me at podcasts at foreignpolicy.com. And for more information about FP Podcasts, please check out our website, foreignpolicy.com, or join our Facebook group. We'll be taking two weeks off for the holidays, but we'll be back with a new episode on January 6th. I'm Jonathan Tepperman.